Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hi, and welcome to Mindshifters Radio, and today is Thursday, March the 9th, 2023, and Dr. Tim has laryngitis today, so hold the space and send loving, healing thoughts his way, so he asked me to play the overview of the Way of Mastery, Lessons 1 through 19, so enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Mindshifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour, and today is Tuesday, August 30th, 2022. As always, we're grateful to everyone who joins us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people and using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. And these tools are available through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice, absolutely free on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the Start Here link in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? <clears throat> and that chapter of the book contains a narrative description of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet, And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for a little over 18 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free you can also go to your app store and type in the three words heartland aramaic forgiveness and before you're done typing the word forgiveness you'll see the glowing heart icon if you choose to tap on that that will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the reality management worksheet it also contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. You can also download absolutely free a whole host of audio files of shows just like this one, where people have been stepped through the worksheet process, and or they've called in to give powerful testimonials about how the active use of these tools has improved the quality of their life and or relationships. And 
those audio files of those shows can uh, can turn out to be a very powerful uh, tutorial for you. If you're unable to call in live on the Internet show to get coaching or if you don't have a support group in your area, um, it's highly recommended that you listen to those shows and use them as the tutorial for how to get maximum benefit from uh, the Reality Management Worksheet and the other tools that are available. W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. And we help people do all of those things soon and often because primarily it tends to improve the quality of people's lives when they step into the use of these tools. And secondarily, it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, testimonials, and we'd be happy to have you call in and share with us if you have any of those. We have um, the intention with this work to be of service, and that intention is far more easier to live into when people share with us the benefits or the struggles they're having in using these tools. And... If you call that number, 563-999-3581, and press 1, it will let us do just that, let you share with us how we might be more critically and effectively and efficiently of service to you today. We are. Uh, yesterday we had uh, a new caller call in. Michael was his name, and he uh, used um, the better part of the show with questions and comments, which we always enjoy and appreciate. And um, so we didn't move forward in the way of mastery, but we have been working this year since January 10th with reading uh, and, and doing careful reading and commentary on the way of mastery. And to this point in time, we have been through the first 19 lessons. All but two of them we've done twice through. And... Um, Last Friday we finished the review, the review of Lesson 19. And so we're in a position where the question is hanging in the air. Should we move forward or should we review? Should we review Lesson 19 or Lesson 18 or 17 or any of the other first 19 lessons? Should we review a lesson in particular, or should we review an overview of the whole march that we've made from the first lesson where it says, right on the first few pages, on page five of the first lesson, it says, the first step in awakening in this process isn't about believing, it isn't about making a commitment, it isn't about following some leader, it's not about a dogma, it's not about a ritual. The first step in awakening is to allow, just just hear that word, is to allow this thought into your mind. Nothing that you experience is caused by anything outside of you. You experience only the effects of your own choice. And once you let that thought into your mind, just watch what wants to argue against it. Watch 
what you've been taught by your culture and what this book later on calls the trivialities of the intellect. Watch what Guy Finley would call the mechanical level of mind that churns away, that refutes anything that's new, that generates fear, that chooses to generate a sense of being offended. Just watch. The first step in awakening is not to believe, it's not to follow, it's not to make take final vows. It's the first step in awakening is just let this thought into your mind. Nothing that I experience is caused by anything outside of me. I experience only the effects of my own choice. And when you watch how the mind wants to argue against all of that, breathe and soften notice the sensations in your body anytime your mind wants to argue against something if you take a breath and scan your body you will probably notice there's tightness there's tension in the body in the energy system that you call the body because you're in resistance because you're in judgment because you're in contraction A little bit later on the very same page, they offer us a way to understand this and soften anyway. Because it says the way of the heart, which is this pathway we're engaged in, is not the way of the intellect. So that part of your mind that wants to judge and say, but wait a minute, I live in a world where All kinds of evil people exist and they do all kinds of war and violence and rape and attack and muggings and and they're victims. The people they do that to aren't causing them to do that. So how could this be? Well, the way it can be is that there are different levels of meaning for this. And this, is, this work is never telling you that you are causing somebody to come and attack you in a dark alley. It's simply saying that what you experience if someone were to attack you in a dark alley is completely dependent upon how you choose to interpret and respond to those events. And it tries to help us usher ourselves into an experience of that when it says the way of the heart is not the way of the intellect. For indeed, the intellect, that aspect of the mind we call the intellect, was never designed to be your master. It was designed to be the humble, and if you will pardon the expression, very simple or stupid servant. This is not a judgment against the intellect or the ego. It's a description. You know, it's it's like saying a dishwasher is a very stupid machine. That's not a negative statement. It just means it doesn't have its own intelligence. It's not going to be creative. It's not going to tap into insight and intuition. It's just going to do what it was programmed to do. And your intellect can only do what it's been programmed to do. A little bit later on it talks about the trivialities that have been shoved into your intellect 
from your family of origin, from the language you learned, from the culture you happen to be born into, that can only churn around inside your intellect and yield the same kinds of results as the tool that's producing the results. The tool you use always produces results that looks like the tool. This is why you can never hate your way into love. You can't ever fight your way into peace. So this book introduces us to the concept that we are creating our experience of life. While we may not be creating all of the events in life as they extend around us, we are creating our experience of it by how we choose to interpret and respond to it. I was doing an interview with somebody yesterday who has a trip planned to go to Portugal. And it's been planned for over two years because of the pandemic. It's been postponed a few times. And and it's going to happen soon. And she's a yoga teacher. She's a yoga therapist. She teaches yoga therapy to other people. The whole purpose of this trip is to reconnect and take people into different cultures and and do yoga, and do yoga as a therapeutic form. And earlier this month, she fell and broke her kneecap and dislocated it. So her leg is currently in one of those rigid casts, so it's permanently in a straight position. And she's going to go on a trip. How is she going to do that? She doesn't know. Her choice of how to think about this flow of life events, which had her taking a step, dropping to her knee, cracking the kneecap and dislocating it, etc., right before the planned trip to Portugal, is is everything about how she's going to experience this. She could experience it as the biggest bummer ever. She could experience it as bad and wrong. She could label it as a horrible time to have to pay back karma from a past lifetime. She could label it as she's a victim of somebody who um, did poor workmanship on the porch she was standing on. She could interpret it any number of ways. What she's choosing is to interpret it as grace, as the universe telling her, well, here's part of what you need to see to begin to heal and move forward. Here's part of what you need to examine about what you're attached to and your sense of self and your pride and your ego that keeps you from knowing and loving life more fully. The way of mastery is trying to introduce us to the fact that that's all any of us have ever done. And in doing so, we create our experience of life. Just a little bit later on, it says, look, this process of your creating your experience of life is so powerful that it creates everything you experience, including 
how you experience every other person you interact with. And so let's introduce a tool. The tool is forgiveness. And forgiveness in this sense matches up with the ancient Aramaic tool of forgiveness, which is to shebag or to cancel or dismantle, and it has nothing to do with anybody outside of you. It has only to do with the perceptions that you construct and then project onto others. And so this book says to forgive means to choose to release another from the perceptions you have been projecting upon them. You create your own perceptions. We've talked about this. You can see a Neil Seth video on YouTube about hallucinating perception. We've talked about it at great length. Our government studies it because they want the best observations from their CIA agents. So you can go to the CIA website and type in, you know, perception. Seeing is not, um, why can't I see what is there to be seen? Uh, Lots of scientific empirical studies that say our process of perception does not record external reality. It constructs or creates our experience of reality, which is why you can have seven people watching an event and end up with five or seven different people's reports of what actually happened. So in the third lesson it says, look, not only are you creating your experience of life, you're creating the images and the experience and the memories you have about every person you've ever interacted with. And so forgiveness means to release another from the perceptions you have created and then projected upon your image of them. It is therefore an act of forgiving one's self or dismantling one's negative projections. As you begin to dismantle those projections, and they're always false, they're always at, at, you know, a, a cheap knockoff of, of direct observation of in-the-moment, one-on-one, mindful experience of life. It's just a flow of energy. But as you forgive, even 70 times 7 times, each time you dismantle your false projections and false perceptions, you take yourself deeper into the purity of your own consciousness. You begin to see how profoundly you've been coloring and therefore affecting all of your relationships through the simple act of not being aware of the power of projection. How you create a perception inside your mind and then you let that process of perception try to convince you that the pictures your mind is showing you, then the meanings that you're giving them exist outside of you. When the fact of the matter is, what you're experiencing doesn't exist anywhere but in your mind. And that's the third lesson. And the fourth lesson comes along and says, look, there's an energy of flow. There's a creative life force that is so powerful and subtle and we are not trained into paying attention to it. So let's introduce you to that. We're going to call it desire, but essentially what it is is the energy of creation that wants to express uniquely through you in this moment. And that energy of desire is always there, it's always on, and it's always accessible 
but we're not trained to slow down and tune into it. So lesson four is simply a whole lesson about let's release your judgment of this energy and the things that you, quote, desire, close quotes. Let's help you understand that the things you desire are nowhere near as important as the flow of energy itself and your ability to tune into that flow of energy, that flow of the creative energy, which is part of the one mind, which is part of the creative force, which is part of what gave rise to you and keeps everything in movement, constantly moving and creating. And then the fifth lesson says, now let's help you understand where are the keys to the kingdom? Where is the kingdom and what are the keys to it? The kingdom is within you and the keys to the kingdom are this desire that we talked about in the last lesson, learning to stay in in the practice of observing that very subtle but powerful energy that carries with it these little intentions or ideas or cravings that you might have. And the things that you desire are nowhere near as important. They're, they're nothing compared to the actual energy of desire itself, the energy of creation that wants to express uniquely through you in each new present moment. And the second key to the kingdom is intention, which is the process of staying in alignment with that energy of desire that you've trained yourself to become aware of. And learning to keep the focus of your intention and attention on that energy of desire and asking, what would the life force, what would the creator, what would light and life itself most want you to do in this moment, most be of benefit to yourself and others in this moment? And the third key is allowance. And allowance is the cultivation of a way of looking at the events in your life as though they are stepping stones. Now, we've been trained to see them as obstacles. But allowance is this ability to scan your body, scan your mind for the earliest warning signs of tension or judgment or labeling, or negativity, or contraction, and to breathe into it and soften and release it. But the actual definition in the middle of the chapter says, allowance is the cultivation of a way of looking at the events in your life, not as obstacles to getting what you want, but as stepping stones. Every event in your life presents you with a blessing of the lessons required to heal your projected perceptions on this flow of life as an obstacle and to see they're not obstacles they're stepping stones and they're stepping stones to bring you into direct conscious awareness with the presence of love as the source and ground of your being and then the fourth key is surrender and surrender is a stage in which perfect peace is the foundation, not for passivity, but for even more activity. Because you surrender to be taught 
by the flow of life. Surrender means you know through every fiber of your being that there's no one here living a life, but life is living you, that you are part of the flow of life. And so it's a surrender into a way of knowing and into a way of being in which you ask continually to be shown what is there what is mine to learn here what can life teach me and then if you do those first four steps enough for a long enough period of time attuned to the energy of creation that wants to express uniquely through you in the moment work to keep your intention focused on that and continually ask what is mine to do here and what do I desire and what does creation want to express through me and then move into allowance that state of vigilance for any tension or resistance or judgment or labeling and as soon as you catch it breathe and soften and let it go and then allow trust that it's all unfolding in a way that makes sense in a way that you can't possibly with your conscious logical mind understand and then you surrender and surrender is asking to be taught by life by light by the one mind in each moment what's mine to learn here how can i be a blessing to myself and others when you do that long enough your life will get to the point where you prefer it so much more than what you were experiencing when you were viewing yourself as a victim and fighting against the flow of life that you'll be sorely tempted to take responsibility and say oh look what I've done look what a fine boy am I and that's where the fifth key to the kingdom is so important humility the recognition that you didn't create yourself and you don't know when you were created that you are just as much a part of the flow of life and creation that you are being lived you are not living. You are not directing the flow of your life. And that's never been your job. What's been your job is to enjoy and appreciate and ask, how can you be a conduit for that loving, joyful, kind, respectful flow of creative energy? And then the next lesson talks about how as you live in that experience, you come to feel yourself more consciously as this flow of life and love and you realize that that flow of life and love is the only thing that heals anything and you you work to to understand how staying consciously aligned with the flow of creative energy and love that some people call it is the only way forward the only way that what you call pains or aches or problems get healed and then the seventh lesson is talking about birthing the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ is your birthright. But you keep yourself from experiencing it by creating a, a, a dream of separation, a belief of separation, and then creating fear. And in the, the seventh lesson it says, with every word that's being uttered in this course, in this book, the one intent is to reveal to you the place within you 
that is the presence of the love that you seek. And then the eighth lesson talks about how powerful your thoughts are. And so, you know, to, to quote Mike Dooley with his emails from uh, Notes from the Universe, thoughts become things, so choose the good ones. And in lesson eight, it talks about this image of a pool, a still clear pool of water. And every thought that you choose and you pour your mind energy into creates a ripple in that water, creates energy that moves out from you and interacts with manifested reality. And you're going to have the experience of that energy as it comes back to you. And as it comes back to you, you get to understand you are not a victim of the world you see. And the more you pay attention to how you are in, in, uh, you are given dominion over the, your thoughts and where you point them and how creative the power of your thoughts is, you're given the choice, what would you like to create? How would I like to create my experience of the ripples of these energies that are coming back to me from the last 5 or 10 or 30 years I spent in depression and anger and bitterness and hurt and resentment? Because... Lesson 9 moves on and says, all events are neutral. Even the bouncing back to me of the energies that I was sending out that were so negative and hurtful and depressed, as they come back to me, I'm still free in each new present moment to determine how I will interpret and respond to these energies coming back to me. I am never a victim of the world I see. Even when I'm experiencing what some would say, you know, the bad karma or the results of all of the negativity that I've been pouring my mind energy into for the past days, weeks, months, years, or decades. So it talks about planting the seeds that will bring your future and and really watching your thoughts, being very selective about which thoughts you'll pour your mind energy into. Talking about the farmer who doesn't rush to plant because of some calendar date approaching, but the farmer who selects carefully holds in her hand feels the vibration of each and every seed before deciding whether or not to keep it and add it to the seeds that she will plant for that season. Individually focusing on the feeling and the vibration of each and every seed. And then when that farmer feels it is the right time, regardless of what the calendar says, regardless of what his fellow or her fellow farmers have done days or weeks or months earlier, she finally plants when she knows she's got the right seeds. She puts her mind energy into these thoughts that create her tomorrows in a way that she prefers. And then Lesson 10 tells us the way is easy and without effort. How could that be? Everything about our Western culture, everything about life on this planet has been presented to us as a struggle. 
It's a fight. That's why we have all these sports and these competitions. That's why we have these stock markets and we have these wars and we have these arms races. But this is a different thing we're talking about. We're talking about the internal experience of life. And we're talking about simple things like asking, how can I extend the treasure I've been given, the treasure, the gift of life, moving in through as and around me, living me, breathing me, how can I extend that to others in this moment? That's not a difficult thing for me to do. And then Lesson 11 says, let's just slow everything down and do a meditation into the heart of Christ. And this is one of the two lessons that we just read through once. And we offer it for people to go back. And there's an audio recording of uh, me reading it straight through without commentary in on the um, mindshiftersacademy.org website on the page where I just have the recordings for this book as close to verbatim as I could manage when I was reading it. And then Lesson 12 talks about how can you set up your thought process, your activities, your mind energy in a way that you will be able to receive the pearls of grace? How can you step into the true essence of these first 12 lessons, which is a designed presentation to bypass the cognitive or the thinking mind and to strike at and begin to dissolve the roots of fear that abide deep in the mind in a place that is by and large unconscious. And everything about this book, all 35 lessons, is trying to work give you ways that you can go in and dissolve the root of fear in the depths of your being. To understand over and over again, you are not the words that you say or the thoughts that you think or the body that you see in the mirror. You are not the actions you have done in the past. Every one of us, this is a a very useful filter to put on. At least I have found it very useful in my life to put on the filter that says everyone who's alive in every moment is doing the best they can in that moment with whatever resources they have. And the more I look at the world through that lens, the better my life gets. And after I did it for a number of years, I woke up and realized, oh, my gosh, I'm one of those people who's always done the best he has in every moment with whatever resources he has. And it dismantled the vast majority of my negative thoughts about myself. It was a a breakthrough experience after years of practicing that, listen, everybody's doing the best they can in every moment with whatever resources they have. And then I woke up one day and realized, oh, I'm doing the best I can in every moment with whatever resources I have. And the more I practice that the more I'm softening and opening, the more I breathe and soften and release what is tight or tense within me, day in and day out, situation after situation, moment after moment, 
I realize that the world I'm perceiving is uncaused by anything except the choices I've made as a free consciousness. I have chosen certain thoughts and interpretations and poured my mind energy into them until I believe that's the truth of life. And I've done that without realizing that that experience of life, that actuality, that reality, doesn't exist anywhere in the universe except in my mind. And the more I practice understanding that, the more I soften what is rigid within me, the more I release the dogmas, the beliefs, the rituals, and I'm softening my energy system so that I can receive the pearls of grace. I can receive insight and intuition. I can receive guidance. I can stay more in allowance and surrender. The 13th lesson comes along and says, we'd like to have you wake up a little bit more to the truth that you are unlimited spirit. You are not the body. Think about it. Go get a picture of yourself from 20 years ago. Go get a picture of yourself when you were in the single-digit years. Was that you? Do you remember being you? Yes. Is, is that body the same as the body now? No. So who you are is not the body, clearly. And in Lesson 13, they give us some tips for cultivating unlimited consciousness and and going deeper into the practice of bringing awareness to the limiting definitions you have about yourself and exercising and practicing more your power to create your experience and uncovering these limiting beliefs about yourself, bringing them to the surface so they lose their power over you. It recommends that you start a transformational journal, that you really slow down and consider how you can usher yourself into an experience of yourself as unlimited spirit, as more than just your thoughts about yourself, more than just the body. Lesson 14 talks about the wise use of time. Now you're awakening to the fact that there's a lot more going on here than your five senses can tell you. And you're softening and awakening to what might be around the edges of your senses of perception. And there's an exercise to develop your awareness. Can I learn to see underneath the perceptions that my mind will throw on the world? Can I learn to see, as Yeshua would talk about, the shimmering radiance that, that gives rise to everything and that is hiding underneath our perception? And then it talks about in the 15th lesson, there are only these two options, love or fear, and the choice between the two is always yours. Truth be told, in an absolute sense, there is only love, this energy of creation. And the fear that we create is a hallucination. It is a dream. It is an illusion. It's a chimera. So there's this meditation that will help you attune to the will of creation. 
And it just talks about with an in-breath, I say, I accept. And with an exhale, I say, the, the love of creation. And as the breath enters my body again, I say, in my, mind, in my thoughts, I say, I accept. And with every exhale, the love of creation. And it talks about how there's only one energy that can separate you from the kingdom, and that's the fear that you generate when you choose to believe that you're separate from the energy that gave rise to you. And in that lesson 15, there's this, the five words that struck me as a wonderful way to summarize this entire 35 lessons. Five words. The choice is always yours. The choice is always yours. You're always free to choose love or fear. Because there is only love, and you're free to choose it and be in direct conscious awareness of it, or get into a dream of separation. Get into the dream of separation and the energy of fear that you generate in your mind. Again, these emotions that you experience don't exist anywhere but in your mind. No one has ever had the life experiences you've had even if the same external events happen. I remember the story I tell it so vivid, so clear. I had a friend who lived down in, I have a friend who lived down near Peoria. And in 2013, in the, uh, November, September, November, October, whatever it was, they had a tornado sweep through the area and just wipe out a whole neighborhood. And because I had a friend who lived in the area, I was watching on the, internet for the news feeds about you know when they were letting people back in because there was days where the power lines were down and the gas lines and i mean houses were leveled down an entire block and and skipped and went to another area and did the same thing and so i I was watching and there was this news story hey they're going to let these people back in they can survey the damage because they've cleared up all of the electrical lines that were down and you know, shut off all the gas mains, and now it's, they're saying it's safe to come back. And so they had a news team with a female reporter and a camera crew, and she went running up to this family that was standing out by the street in front of a driveway that led to a pit that used to be their house of rubble. So the basement was all that was left, and it was full of the rubble of the house. And the mother and father were there with their children, and the reporter went racing up to them and talk about how devastating it was. And the mother and father said, we're just so fortunate. We feel blessed. You know, the good Lord was looking out for us. We're so grateful. That was all stuff. It can all be replaced, but we're all safe. Well, this isn't what the news reporter wanted to hear. So she made a beeline for their next-door neighbors who were standing right there, right down the street, just, you know, one yard away. And these people were standing there, husband and wife, wailing and gnashing their teeth. And this is where the news reporter spent 90 seconds talking about, oh, the memories that can't be replaced, and, but didn't you have insurance? Oh, yes, but the photographs and this and that, it's all so horrible. And victim mentality versus gratitude mentality. Two families, two sets of people right next to each other experienced the same external event. Their houses were leveled by this tornado. One family chose the interpretation of, we are so fortunate to be here. 
What's important is our family. Stuff can be replaced. We're choosing joy. We're choosing gratitude. We're choosing relief. The next family right next door experiencing the same devastation from the same storm, choosing woe is me, we're victims, this is horrible. We are choosing, lesson 15, love or fear, the choice is yours. Lesson 16, the birth of egoic consciousness. This talks about how in the beginning there was just consciousness. There was no physicality. And then consciousness said, hey, let's play. And there was nothing to play with. So consciousness said, well, let's play with a a dream that we can be separate from ourselves. Let's just pretend that we're more than one and we'll play hide-and-seek. So one part of me goes to hide and one part of me stays to count to 100 and then Later, I'll go seek. And it talks about the end of all seeking, choosing to live as though you are not your ego, letting the other part of you, the, the, the part of the one mind, find you. Stop running around searching for God. Slow down and let yourself be found by your true self. And then Lesson 17 talks about the journey of the soul. It talks about moving through consciousness without a body, consciousness without a body that chooses to associate with a sperm and an egg growing in a womb, consciousness that forgets its true nature and identifies with the physical body, and then works through the life cycle to remember its true nature and then dismantling the blocks to being aware of yourself as true nature turning your focus inward awakening to your true nature again and then lesson 18 talks about how the highest work is embracing and forgiving your past And again, in this work, the word forgiving means to dismantle the false perceptions you have created about this flow of life, about this flow of energy that we call life. And it suggests in Lesson 18 that your one function is to bless creation. What's another word for bless? To accept creation, to allow creation, to ask creation to teach you about itself constantly state I do not know what this thing is or is for I do not know what my brother or sister needs I'm asking to be shown how can I accept the flow of life how can I cultivate the practice of blessing the world being in allowance and acceptance and surrender using the, the the concept of divine ignorance and saying, I don't know what this thought or this image or this emotion or this memory is for, but I do know one thing. I've made a commitment to awaken to my true nature or to awaken as the mind of Christ. Therefore, I will use this one moment 
this one thought, this one passing experience or phenomenon, to practice what I was created for, to accept, to allow, to trust, to bless creation, and thereby to extend the good, the holy, and the beautiful. I do it infinitely, eternally, with joy, with innocence, with graciousness, and with peace. And I marvel at the mystery of love that life itself is. And I practice that. I practice a simple exercise to bless to drop all judgment and all interpretation and all perceptions I've created about the past and just accept it as the flow of life, as the extension of the force of creation into time and space. I allow myself to be used as a conduit for the loving, respectful acceptance and embracing of life itself. And lesson 19 that we just finished reading is titled Surrendering the Dream of the Dreamer. It's waking up to all the illusions that we've bought into. To awaken to the fact that the source of all illusion is this, this one act of deciding to perceive yourself as separate from the rest of creation. And all of your aches and pains and all of your upsets and all of your sufferings come from that choice. Lesson 19 reminds us that the world is innocent. Lesson 19 gives us some questions to ponder. Is there anything of value true value that can be added unto you? Is there anything of true value that can be taken away from you? Lesson 19 reminds us, again, you are free to choose anew in each new present moment. Lesson 19 is basically an extended version of this statement that I give people. I I, I used to say it, and then uh, they, they would say, oh my goodness, you know, that's so complicated. Is this written someplace? Can I get a copy of that somehow? So I ended up typing it out. I've got a, 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 a several dozen of them I have here on my desk ready to hand out in any session. And it's just, what I think are these two simple statements. Shocking to me how often people say, wait a minute, I, 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 can't, I can't hold that in my head. Can, can you write that down? And here they are. I'm reading them off the piece of paper that I have copies of. And this is just distilled out of the work that I've done over the years with Dr. Michael Rice and the way of mastery and all the many times I've read it and tried to practice these exercises. So here are these two statements. You have the infinite capacity to choose the focus of your conscious awareness in each new present moment, period. Point number two, it is the focus of your conscious awareness in each new present moment which creates your experience of life in that moment, period. So what this means is lesson 19. 
in two simple statements. What this means is you're a very powerful creator. What this means is the same thing that Michael Rice had had on one of his earlier worksheets where it said, the truth is my reality is strictly internal, it's unique to me, and it's created out of my own thoughts. And a little bit later on in that worksheet, he had the line that said, with truth I hide my power. And most of the time when we did the support groups and we were doing a worksheet, when we were introducing it to people, we'd say, with truth I hide my power, and I would stop the processing and I'd say, what power are they talking about there? And I would get met with blank stares from the newcomers, and I would say, come back to the line we just read, a little bit farther up on the worksheet that's all caps in bold, and it says, the truth is, My reality is strictly internal, it is unique to me, and it is created out of of my own thoughts. If I blame anyone or anything outside of me for my reality, I'm hiding from myself my power to create my reality in each moment with where I choose to focus my conscious awareness. So one more time, you have the infinite capacity to choose the focus of your conscious awareness in each new present moment. Point number two, the focus of your conscious awareness in each new present moment creates your experience of life in that moment, period. You might just use those two statements as a summary of Lesson 19. So apparently, today was for review. We didn't know when we started, if we would move on to Lesson 20, or we would review Lesson 19 or something else. And the something else happened. We went back and reviewed from Lesson 1 to Lesson 19. What are we being asked to do? What are we being offered? What are we being led to experience? We're being led to experience the flow of life differently. We're being invited to choose to spend time differently, time in how we choose the focus of our conscious awareness. The invitation is wide open any time, any day, any moment. And as they talk about so lovingly in the first few lessons, those who are not in the physical body wait with infinite patience and love. And they're perfectly okay if you want to choose another several years, several decades, several lifetimes, choosing for fear, choosing for upset choosing the dream of separation it's perfectly okay the world isn't broken you're not broken there's nothing of value that can be added unto you and nothing of value that can be taken from you it reminds me of the Bill Hicks quote about life is like an amusement park And it's it, it's this um, 
a quote from Bill Hicks, and Bill Hicks was a comic who um, used a lot of raunchy language, and I would have to preface this when I was giving a talk at any kind of a church, whether it was unity or something else. I'm not going to get into the raunchy language, but I'll read the quote from Bill Hicks because there's so much depth in it. He says, the world is like a ride in an amusement park. And when you choose to go on it, you think it's real because that's how powerful our minds are. Now, the ride goes up and down and around and around. It has thrills and chills. It's very brightly colored and it's very loud. And it's fun for a while. Many people have been on the ride a long time. And they begin to wonder, hey, Is this real or is this just a ride? And other people have remembered, and they come back to us and they say, hey, 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 don't worry. Don't be afraid ever, because this is just a ride. And we kill those people. Hey, shut him up. I got a lot invested in this ride. Shut him up. Look at my furrows of worry. Look at my big bank account and my family. This has to be real. No, it's just a ride. But we always kill the good guys who try to tell us, have you ever noticed that? And we let the demons run amok. But it doesn't matter because it's just a ride. And we can change it anytime we want. It's only a choice. No effort, no work, no job, no savings of money, just a simple choice right now between fear and love. Now, the eyes of fear want you to put bigger locks on your doors, buy guns, and close yourself off. The eyes of love instead invite you to see we are all one. Here's what we can do to change the world right now a better ride take all that money we spend on weapons and defenses each year and instead spend it on feeding clothing and educating the poor of the world which it would pay for many times over not one human being excluded and we could explore space both inner and outer together forever in peace it's just a choice between love and fear. I don't know if Bill Hicks ever had exposure to the Course in Miracles or the Way of Mastery, but either way, he's had exposure to the very same truths, the very same observations. It's always a choice between love and fear. The choice is ours. The choice is always yours. So that was our review of the first 19 lessons today. I thank you all for being here and listening. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. Welcome, Jeannie Rice. Well, that was a pre-recorded show of the overview of the Way of Mastery Lessons 1 through 19. And I don't know about you all, but I needed that. That was awesome. 
let's hold the space for Dr. Tim. He has a cold and laryngitis, and so he had asked me to play that for him today. While we're waiting on Michael to dial in, I uh, see that Susan's already got her hand up, so I'm going to press her microphone and turn her on. Welcome, Susan. Hello. Welcome home. How was the trip home with Michael? Thank you. It was good. Um, There's a mountain from here to Asheville, and it was really foggy going over and coming back, but we made the trip fine and got back home last night and uh, just rested. And Michael's (laughs) he's already out there digging mulch for me. Whoa. Amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So um, I was surprised that Dr. Tim wasn't live today. I hope everything's okay. That's none he's of my business. A, he's got a cold and laryngitis. And so being okay. a, having to talk was going to be a challenge for him. So he was is staying home and resting. Uh, oh, okay. A lot of healing love. Yeah. Okay. Because this usually he announces definitely been a week. Yeah. <laughs> this is definitely, well, you, know. you know, he plays one for us, we play one for him, and vice versa. We've done I that, I think, well, two or three times this it, week, but that happens. <laughs> right. Well, it's whatever you guys choose to run is amazing. Often I don't listen to a replay because I think, oh, I've heard it before and i got so much to do, um, and I don't listen. I listen to this, and... I should have listened to them all because, of course, they're, they're curated for being the best of the best. And so you, <laughs> and we always need, we need to listen over and over to those things. These lessons he read are like a summary of everything we've been trying to do from the get-go. And even I the new Christian Sunbury guy, he's telling the same thing in a different way and it hits different ways into our brain cells and we get different kind of revelations, but it's, it's the same good stuff. And I do have a question for Michael and you um, about something that Michael sometimes quotes about the highest treason is to do the right thing for the wrong reason. And I'll ask the question now is, Whatever I do, I have lots of reasons, and some of them are the right reason, and some of them are not. I understand what that is, but uh, I just feel as if I'm not that clear of a customer that I could just know I'm doing something for the right reason and have it be absolutely clear in my system. Usually my ego is getting something out of it, you know, and whatever. So I, I wondered if he had a thought about The easiest way it. is is just to, and that's T.S. Eliot that he quotes but um, oh, it's just, it is, yeah. I guess looking at whatever you do and you know are you doing it from a space of love or are you doing it out of fear or hostility and that would answer usually them, it's a combination <laughs> that's what I mean <laughs> it's usually a combination uh, you know yeah. my intention is I hope it's always a good intention but there's well, you know my favorite miserable and many of ours is. I mean, Christian Sundberg returned to Earth for another lifetime in order to learn how to clear and heal his fear. And this is a very high right. soul. So <laughs> anyway, I feel as if it's it's just the human 
condition maybe or something. Right. Well, when you were on at the very beginning, one of the first lessons that uh, Dr. Tim reviewed was, uh, or at least it's the first one that really stuck in my brain, was where he talks about everybody is doing the best they can with the resources that they have at every moment. You know, so that may change, you know, from day to day or moment to moment even. And uh, mm-hmm. Michael has joined us, so what we're talking about is T.S. Eliot's uh, doing the right thing for the wrong reason, um, and how can you know, you know, sometimes our reactions or behaviors are a mixture of those two. Do you have a comment on that, Michael? Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people say everybody's doing the best they can, and my offering is that's not true. That's just not the truth. And I say that <laughs> from Dr. personal Kim experience. Says that's not true. Yeah, Dr. well, I'm Kim in agreement says, with Dr. I know Kim that's that. probably not true, but I'm going to live. I'm going to live as if it is because it makes me a nicer person. But go ahead, Michael. <laughs> well, I'm just I'm speaking from my own experiences. There are times when I've done things that I know I shouldn't have done. I know it was not in harmony with my highest and best, or what I should be doing as a human yeah. being, and I did it anyway. So I didn't do the best yeah. I could have done. And I think a lot of people could be making choices and or doing the work that would lead them to better choices. So it, it's a nice yeah. kind of platitude. Well, they did, And, you know, in some sense, even if they chose the lower path, they did the best they could because at that moment that's what drove them. But I'm, I wouldn't put an absolute stamp on that when everybody's doing the best they can do. Because people yeah. do things that they, they, and even, you know, I wish I hadn't, I didn't want to do that, but there was something inside of me that forced me to do it. And it wasn't my highest and right. best, and it wasn't the best I could have done, and it's what I did. You know, when you have and, that attitude, though, that people are doing the best they can, it's your way of refraining from judging them, which saves your neck. Did that make sense? Um, yeah, I, I, actually, I would give it a slightly different twist. I think it's a okay. way of me rationalizing and not dealing with my response to what they did. You know, if I look because at someone and they did having... something and, and, and what it triggered in me was rage, I can, you know, it's mm-hmm. kind of like that premature positive thinking thing. I can say, well, they did the best they could do, so I can ignore my rage. Yeah. And, Definitely. you know, I, I think that's, that. it, can, it can be. I don't think it's always true, but I can be a spiritual bypass. Oh, I don't want to deal with yeah. this, so I'm I just going to make an excuse for them. Mm-hmm. And by making an excuse for them, I get to avoid what's really going on in my own mind. Yeah. Well, you know when they say Jesus died for our sins, and you could launch into that one big time, I'm sure. Basically, how I've heard that is, thank God, because I can't clean up everything that's in my system. I need a rescue. I'm doing my work, but I need a rescue. Well, if you go back to that situation in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah. It doesn't say he died for our sins. I think that's a churchianity interpretation. I'm not sure the scriptures mm-hmm. actually say that anywhere. And I might be incorrect there. However, 
what it said was he took on the sins of the world. And in the way that, you know, a strong person might go and take on the labor of another person, take on their work. And it, mm-hmm. I, to me, it doesn't imply suffering. It implies he had a level of power and commitment and ability to assist people in doing what they were not yet able to do for themselves and so lighten the burden. So I don't see it in any way of, you know, the the word sacrifice has been sort of kicked around to be, well, you know, he destroyed himself for them when the word mm-hmm. sacrifice means to make sacred and to mm-hmm. move into that sacred space of love empowers us to take on energetic patterns that otherwise we might not be able to do. Well, that's really nice. And so I like that. I hear him taking on, you know, saying, I'll, I'll assist, I'll support, I'll, out of my power, provide some energy to alleviate this burden from others. Mm-hmm. And that becomes, but to it me, also... a whole different thing than... He took on the sins of the world, so now I don't have to deal with it. You know, if, if I That's think it, I'm not yeah. going to have to deal with my stuff because he took it on, then people just go right on doing their same old hate and rage and guilt and, you know, uh, traumatizing people, blah, 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 blah. And, and it becomes, I think, a, a total misinterpretation and therefore destructive in the world. But there's a middle in there. It's like yes. I'm doing the best I can, but I'm telling you, I'm in my present state of mind, watching my mind, one difficult person in our Zoom group, and my triggers are firing, and I'm doing my work, right. and I'm, you know, I'm thinking, when is this going to end? I'm getting a little old here, and it's the same <laughs> thing, and I think I, I need the bolstering. I certainly need the bolstering, and I do figure it's fair enough. If Jesus is bolstering us, counting on us doing our own work. I like that a lot. Yes. But in the end That's my take. I'm hoping I am hoping he'll just take me by the scruff and pull me across the line because I don't know if I could get there on my own. <laughs> well, once again we look at that circumstance we talked about so many times where the woman has this twelve year issue of blood, pretty heavy duty mm-hmm. disease process. And she needs some help from her big brother, you know, touch the hem of his garment, you know, be able to draw on his power to support him. But he didn't in any way, shape or form. He did the exact opposite of claiming that he did it for her. He said, no, it was you. It was your work that did it. And yeah, do we all need support at some point? Absolutely. And that to me is what every one of us can give to every other. You know, you may say, oh, I've got a weakness and I just can't do this. But when you're in your strong space and I come up with a weakness, you can be the the power and the strength that pulls me by the scruff of my neck across that line and vice versa. So to me, ultimately, it's that we become that for each other. We follow the master's lead and he said, okay, here's how you do it not here's how I'm going to mm-hmm. do it for you. And so many people yeah. just use he's going to do it for them as an excuse to just stay with the same old patterns and the same old prejudices and racism and hatred Don't and you fear. think, though, if you really, really believed that he could do it for me and he's doing it for me, that that alone would heal us to be our very best? Maybe not, but 
landscape. Well, I, I believe, would... yes, if, if we had a deep enough connection with that thought, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I haven't observed too many having that deep a connection with that thought. <laughs> right. They all say the nice words about Jesus, Jesus, my Savior, and then go on puke on, let's say, for instance, an immigrant. How many times have you seen that? Yep. You look at what's going on in our culture today and the, the puking that's happened by people who call themselves members of churchianity. And they're sure not mm-hmm. emanating the love of God or the, the mind of Christ. You know, to me, there is mm-hmm. only one thing that qualifies a person to be called a Christian, and that is that they actually function out of the mind of love. Mm-hmm. To have any other definition is just a fraud. Right, and that's I'm a member of the, the right church, or I, I believe. Pardon me. Yeah. Well, that's that makes it universal, right there. There's no more church; it's universal. I mean, you can't. It say is universal, and church, way. and churchianity can be a huge help in the process. I mean, we all need somewhere to go to do our learning and to practice yeah. and to work with each other and to have, you know. The community of support is monumental in doing one's work. Mm-hmm. I don't believe there's anybody isolated that could do this on their own. Yeah. <laughs> think of a funny so I think it plays that, an important role. Take up time. Yeah. It's just when the role <laughs> becomes really non-functional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> well, I'm breathing with you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, life is very challenging. So, so is life giving you some particular opportunities at this moment? Oh, sure, you know, but they're, they're, it's the same old, same old, different colors and different shapes. But it's the same sort of thing. Yeah. So you're doing your 77 so, times 70 is what I'm hearing you say. I know, and I think it's a lot more than <laughs> it's a lot more than that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you take those numbers symbolically instead of literally, and it's an infinite number of worksheets yeah. until I'm complete with this issue. And yeah. It's it's a process. You know, in the scientific world, they tell us about the you know the the web telescope showing us that there's many more universes beyond our universes and many more beyond there and then you have the other side which is it's all an illusion anyway they're not real anyway Um, okay I just don't know what to do with that well my take would be that that would be a false statement which that idea that they're not real, that's that's not what the Course is saying, if you're taking that from the Course's perspective. Oh, I guess I am. I mean, everybody's saying Christian Sundberg, you know, the way of mastery. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm not getting something there. What, what does the Course say? Well, my take would be if you go to that lesson, what is the world? And, you know, many people who work with the Course interpret the world as everything you can see, taste, touch, and feel as being yeah. non-existent. Mm-hmm. For me, that is not even 
relative or close to what the Course is saying. The Course is pretty clear. In that lesson, what is the world, the lesson starts out with a simple sentence, what is the world, and then it answers the question in a simple sentence. The world is false perception, period. So the overlay that I put on the world that the Creator created, you know, if I reach my hand out and I touch this, uh, this table, that table is the world that the Creator created. The meaning that I give it, the perceptual construct my mind gives it, is the world that the Course is aiming forgiveness at, is the world that the Course is saying is not real. Yeah. Oh, I get it. Okay. And so, so that would, to me, apply to, you know, I, people look and they go, well, there are no people out there. Well, that's right. There mm-hmm. are no separate bodies. There are no, you know, forms that, you know, I would call Bill or Harry or Mary or Hortense. That's all an illusion. That's all a construct of my mind. But if I could see you for what you are, I would see this worrying mass of electrons, protons, neutrons, and light that you exist. That's the world the Creator created. I put the world of bodies over it. I make up the illusions. You know, the root of the word illusion in Aramaic is the word measured. When you hear it said in the scriptures, as you measure, it will be measured unto you. If I measure hatred into my form, into my experience and my expression, then my perceptual construct, the world I see, will be filled with the hatred. It will measure back to me what I measured into my structure, and I'm going to see a world of hatred. That world isn't real. It's just a reality in my mind. And that's what the the Course is aiming at correcting. And then Mm -hmm. when we wake up to the truth, then we're going to get to touch into what the Creator created. Does that make sense? It does make sense, and I have understood that. I guess what I'm boggled at is however I perceive it, there is a lot going on out in the universe. Far bigger, A whole far lot more. more than what we see. Right. And, of course, my default is to be scared out of my mind uh, because it's so big. Of course, that's just because there's a, a, a generational pattern of fear that could be forgiven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I could get excited about it and just be overjoyed. Yeah. Uh, inspired by it. I know. I'm waiting for that to happen, Michael. Michael, uh, I tell you. Well, but until you've measured joy and inspiration and aliveness and creativity into your structure, your perception isn't going to be able to give it back to you, isn't going to be able to measure it back to you. And so So if you do if that. what my and my bloodline has structured into my my perceptual system is, you know, fear and terror and trauma and, oh, things are going to go badly and it's going to be trouble and blah, 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 then I'm going to get back that blah, 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 blah in my mind's constructs. And my mind will be telling me about me, not the world that the creator created. Yeah. Right. There's this big equation that basically says when it's that big and that new, 
and that much unknown, you're not safe. So, but the fact we're that we're on safety. separate bodies, and but, but the are fact, we? Uh, I think this question Sunburn says as as long as we perceive ourselves as separate, we will be afraid. Yes. And, and Einstein backs him up from the world of physics. If you think you're separate or separated from the rest of humanity, you're living in an optical delusion. But that doesn't mean you have and to And that be delusion is based in fear and separateness. Oh, okay. So what if okay. I moved in the direction of holding a thought, you know, kind of like a, a bridge across to the truth, if I work to, to really comprehend and hold the thought that, well, my mind's showing me a world of separate bodies. That's my optical delusion. That's how my mind has been trained. And underneath it, what I know is everything is connected in this world of light. Mm-hmm. And as long as I give up all attack in me, then this mm-hmm. world of light will only bring me light. But as long as I hold to attack thoughts, then the world has to mm-hmm. give me back what I've asked for. So That's each time I confront another part of me that holds attack and I forgive it, I get closer and closer to, oh, you know, the, I, I, I'm part of, this universe of light, and this universe of light is conspiring to support me and nurture me. You know, listen to that scriptural quote, and I can't speak it exactly, but basically where the Creator is speaking to you and say, I have the most wonderful things in mind for you to take care of you, to nurture you. But you got other plans, so, you know, have at it as long as you choose to. Mm. I know you And remembering... It's a key. (laughs) It's the key. It just seems as if I'm using a toothpick to remove a mountain is how it feels. Mm -hmm. Well, and and that's that's accurate. You know, when you realize we've got a thousand generations in there, the thoughts, the feelings, the, the traumas, the dramas, as well as the beauties and the wonders and the abundance, we've got them both. Yeah, it's a pretty big mountain to think about taking on. And the, yeah. the one thought that assists me with that is that what I know is that the Creator put this feminine elemental force in me that if I'm ready and willing to let go of this, she will undo those errors and she will show me what the truth is. And if I'm willing to listen, mm-hmm. instead of being busy with all the generational stories in my mind, then I'm going to get a whole different uh, result out of my world. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. I do feel as if it's a, it, you have to use all your faculties to get there. For instance, what was happening with our housemate, Michael, I had to go talk to him. It wasn't just doing my worksheets. I actually had to meet with the actual person, find out where he really is, because my mind builds up stories, gangbusters, and can work up a tremendous head of steam all by itself. I create my whole world in there. 
and going to meet another person and find out what's really happening with them is a great gift in most cases. Uh, once in a while it could go bad, I'm sure. But uh, it, it's just, um, it feels daunting today. Here's the, here's the thing to me that brings solace, and that is, and, and motivation is it will never be any worse than the worst thought that I hold. You know, I've, so I've often said way. this in the context. It will never, you know, whatever I think of how this world is going to attack me, it will never be any worse than my own worst attack thought. Oh, yeah. If it's I'm pretty disastrous, if it's, yep. if it's pretty disastrous, oh, yeah. That my thoughts, then, then, yeah, the attacks are going to be pretty disastrous. You've heard me say this in relationship to the power person dynamic, and that is that you're mm-hmm. probably not any more vicious than your power person was. But you are just as vicious. Yeah. Until you address really and resolve those dynamics. Mm-hmm. Well, we get back to doing the right thing for the wrong reason. I know that, and yet I do a bypass. Like with my grandson, when I'm tempted to be triggered because he doesn't, he isn't nice, he's snarky. To, I mean, that's a nice word for it. I breathe, right. I picture him whole, and it's easier because he's my grandson, and I genuinely treasure that guy. I was going to say the word love, but I know you don't use that word. Um, I do love that boy unconditionally and forever, so I could just go find that in my heart, and I can do it, but with somebody else that I don't know. And it helps to have a person or two or three or ten in your life to whom, toward whom you feel that way because you can just say to yourself, the way I love that person is the way God loves everybody. And so what's my problem here? You know, can't I just choose that, sit on that? But I am doing that for a good reason, for the right reasons and also the wrong reasons, and that is that I don't want to sit with my animosity, my hatred, I, I'm looking at it. Maybe I'm confusing something about what Elliot said. Maybe this is all okay. But anyway, it, it feels contaminated. But. And remember where feelings come from, and that's thoughts. And whose thoughts cause my feelings? Me. So what thought disorder am I engaging in that I feel this way, and am I willing to forgive it? Wow. Okay, I got it. Okay, that's really good, Michael. Two memories popped into my mind that are going to be useful for this. That's good. Awesome. Sweet. That's yeah, what we'd be here to do. Thoughts. Those aren't my thoughts. Those aren't my thoughts. I've borrowed them and, and made them mine, but they're not my thoughts. Yeah. Right. Okay. Good. Yeah, when you well, realize there's so think. many generational patterns in us, mm-hmm. and am I willing to take on 
those patterns and work through them. <laughs> There's a, I have to read this to you. Um, a woman who did the intervention for Luke a couple of years ago put right. something on Facebook that's food for incredible thought. And it's, it's more complicated than this, but listen to this. What I think you think of me is what I think of me. What, I, what you think I Projection. think of you is what you think of you, I think. Right. <laughs> that's what she put on mm-hmm. Facebook. I thought that was <laughs> really fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's right she's, on track. It's all, it's yeah. all perception. <laughs> yeah, projection, perception. I love that idea in the way of, of mastery that says forgiveness is you forgive yourself for the perception of anything but the best in the other person. That's a reword by me because I don't have it in front of me. That's right. a beautiful okay. thing. Anyway. Okay, Michael, carry on. Thank you for talking. Welcome back. I'm glad you're in the Thank in you. the actual selfness because it's always nice to have living people on the other end of the radio. Please. Yes. Well, it's it's good to be home. For sure. I bet it had is. a wonderful time with Michael J with my son and his wife. And I had yeah. lots of awesome baby snuggle times. You know, um, Kaylee Joe's five months, and so she's at that stage. If you smile at her, Perfect. she just gets so excited and so laughing and so giggly and just arms out and arms and legs going. And so I got lots of time with her, and it was really, really sweet. And it was it was good to be able to be there to support Michael and Krista in, well, Michael, Krista, actually, and uh, CJ's brother, and Jamie, mm-hmm. and just going through, you know, his sister and, you know, Michael J's mom passing. It was just really powerful to be there and uh, to hold the space. That's and wonderful. I got to clean up some old communication with CJ as well. So all in all, it was a, oh, that's great. It was a really wonderful journey. That's great. Good. Congratulations, and I hope it was an easy go for her. At the last minute, uh, her whole countenance just got soft and quiet, and she just very gently let go. Very, very sweet space, very gently, and it was in the the context of a, a conversation about forgiveness that she just... Well, let go. So it was nice. powerful. It was, it was a blessing to be able to be there with her, with her and for her, moving through it. Mm. She had definitely done enough suffering and had enough pain to, you know, it was just time to just let go. And the kids had told her, you know, they were, she was worried about them and how they were going to do, and they both assured her very deeply that they were okay and it was all right for her to just let go. So she finally did. Mm. Wonderful. Yep. Good. I had One a of the very things good that friend was... die of the same way um, two days ago, kidney failure. Oh, and really? I decided not to do dialysis and let her go. And she died two days ago. So, yeah. And her daughter sent mm-hmm. us the obituary and told us that it was gentle and easy. So good. 
For sure. For sure. Rather than it having to be a trauma. Right. That may be, may well be, it may well be that one of the things we're here to do is to learn to die consciously and gently Mm -hmm. until we choose to give up dying altogether. Right. I hope we do that in a big bunch because, uh, you know, my idea is some of us sticking around. Yes, it's nice to have people hanging around. I know. (laughs) Well, and that's a piece of work to do. A a big objection I get from a lot of people, well, you know, if I live to be 200, everybody that I know is is dead. It's like, okay, so now what does that mean to you? Well, everybody's dead. Well, okay. So what realities would you hold about everybody that you know being dead that you'd have to forgive to continue to recognize yourself as the presence of love and to continue to live as the presence of love and hold the space for people to give up death and be life. What what would that take? Mm. So maybe that's our next challenge. That's what I'm working on. Mm -hmm. Can I give up the pain, the thought disorders in me about people dying so that if mm-hmm. somebody chooses to do that, I give them the liberty and the support to do that and hold mm-hmm. to the space of love. Why would that be traumatic? I mean, I might say, gee, I would really like that person to be here. But if they've made yeah. a choice, do I have the right to take that away? And so what if in mass we started going, oh, well, we can work through that and we can just carry on. <laughs> like, let's go for it. Let's go for it. Put the date on your calendar for our New Year's party in 4949, New Year's Eve, and let's just plan to carry on and hang out together. And let's create a community of eternals. Mm. I, I so have there's to a work line in the Course of Miracles that says, swear never to die, you holy son of God. Mm. Well... That doesn't mean we keep our body, though, does it? I think they mean that we drop the body, but we're very much alive for all eternity. Well, the last time I looked, the common definition, at least in this culture of death, is the body drops. Now, in Aramaic, the word death means dead, means present elsewhere. There was enough enlightenment to, to know that it wasn't about physical life. However, I think if we choose to take on a form and treat it only with energetic patterns that support its aliveness, then aliveness is the only option. Mm. I, I do understand what you're saying. I can't imagine enough of us are going to do that. We might have a very small cadre over there at Heartland. <laughs> oh, oh, that's okay. Know. Well, we've got a couple of thousand years to gather others. My first you know, image what is if? a pile of desiccated old people in wheelchairs with no teeth. I know I have to Ooh, get past we'll that. We'll cancel that. 
No, my visual is a, a, a group of people who are vital, alive, strong, muscular, healthy, intelligent, creative people. Mm, much better. I'll up, take that one. Who've given up everything that would cause people to be toothless, old, decayed, and desiccated. Let's give it up. You oh, know, yeah. let's, let's make a commitment to face everything in us that has created death in any of our ancestors. You know, what, what killed my great-great-great-great-grandfather? You know, was it a broken heart? Was it a broken back? Then am I willing to deal with the energy patterns in my back and clean them up, bring them to love? It was a broken heart. Am I willing to, you know, clean up the thought disorders that I have about people who would hurt me? Mm. Am I willing to do that? Then if I am, then why would I have to create death? So let's hold a visual. Let's create the visual now of vital, alive people, and we have a basketball court there. On the basketball court, just playing their hearts out, shooting baskets, high vitality, high energy, and then jogging down the hill to the lake, jumping in for an invigorating swim, and then running back up the hill to play some more basketball. I can picture it. And there's there's no requirement for a wheelchair on the property whatsoever. You remember that cartoon you've seen of the lemmings going over the cliff? Yeah. And there's one lemming going the other way with their hand up saying, excusez-moi, excusez-moi. <laughs> We need to become that in this avalanche mm. of suffering and death that's taken over the world. Because mm-hmm. that's not natural. That's not what the world's designed for. And the masters who've come have been trying to convince us of that for a long, long time. And most people don't take them at their word. So breathing with you as we think about the possibilities of that mm. and how large a group could we gather. You know, there's a, Heartland's about 17 acres, but there's a whole peninsula of land there that I could see being filled with Heartlanders, with Eternals, mm. who have this place with the top 10% clean air in the nation, gardens, lakes, streams, blue skies, and life in abundance. Michael, now you, I can... have in, you have incredible vitality to even have those thoughts. I'm having them right along with you. When I'm lying Dear down. heart. <laughs> yeah. Dear yeah. heart. 
when I was a kid, I can remember being so weak and so filled with pain that I, I could, I laid in the bed and across from my bedroom door was the bathroom door and I could see the toilet and I didn't have enough energy to get out of my bed and get to that toilet. And I would be then taken to a hospital and put in an oxygen tent so I had enough energy to keep on my organs going. Mm-hmm. For years and years and years and years. How did you turn that around, Michael? All of the above. I got to the point where I, you know, and I can remember thinking this. It's like these drugs are keeping me alive, but they're killing me. This is, this is not yeah. life. Mm-hmm. And I started a search. And how did I do it? All of the above. I've incorporated everything into this work that it took for me to go from someone who had so much back pain that if I bent over into the wrong position, somebody had to come and physically pick me up, that I had so many breathing disorders that there would be times when, again, I'd be in a hospital in an oxygen tent, and or I had an inhalator in my pocket everywhere I went and would be puffing on this puffer in order to keep breathing. Mm. Everything that I teach is what I did. Wow. So it, it's difficult for me to believe in deterioration and degeneration as being natural mm-hmm. because I have the experience that it's not and with having the experience that it's not natural, then in terms of theoretically, it comes to me that, well, obviously, if I can come this far, then why not go the rest of the way? Why settle for this? What do I have to face? I don't know what I have to face yet. I don't know what comes next. I know that the deepest layers of it have come in the last two and three years. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, carry on. Yeah, well, I know what you mean. I feel that the last two or three years of my life, I've learned so much. And I think, wait a minute, we're supposed to, you know, my, my idea of old people is quite different from what's happening to me in my brain. And physically, I'm hanging in there all right. Knock on wood. <laughs> I have. And we're raising up a generation who know from the beginning, you know, the conversations we have with Aria. I mean, to have had the, for her to be able to repeat back, to speak back, and to to comprehend in a way that she brings forward ideas that we haven't even thought of. If somebody mm-hmm. handed that to us, to me at four. And, Amazing. you know, I've started with that conversation with my granddaughter, Kaylee Jo. She's five months. And we're having those mm-hmm. conversations. We're talking about all the things that you and I are talking about yeah, with her in five months. She's building the brain cells already. Mm. Lucky little girls. 
So what if we had a critical mass of people that were doing that with their children and their grandchildren and their mm-hmm. great-grandchildren? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what is the world? The world is false perception. It is born of error. It has not left its source. It will remain no longer than the thought that gave it birth is cherished. Now, of course, if I cherish my suffering or my pain and I make it my red badge of courage, then even if I told Rukka to take it away, Rukka couldn't because my will has said this is mine and I want Mm -hmm. it. Yep. An important part is to learn what we don't want. And then to be willing to relinquish it and be vigilant as heck because it's sneaky. Wants to sneak back in, exactly. So joining you in it, young lady. Thanks. I know you are. You're way ahead of me. I'm joining you in it. Well, let's go for it. Mm-hmm. Well, any other thoughts for you today? Sure, only if nobody else is on, and I'm not kidding about that. I don't want to dominate the whole radio show. So ask Jeannie if somebody So you want to dominate the whole radio show, okay. Wyatt, Michael, I, I heard you. That's not true. I heard you. I know you did. <laughs> <laughs> So what's your thought? We have a new man on our Zoom group. He's in his early 80s, and he has been writing. He's kind of a genius like you. He's been writing. He's a scientist and a philosopher and a mystic. I'm using those words. I don't think he has used right. those words. He lives you mentioned in him he last calls, week. Yeah, he, he lives. I've been thinking more about what he said to us. He lives in the presence. He calls it the presence. And I said, how does that Mm -hmm. feel? And he said, when I'm in there, I feel great. I feel joyful, playful, wonderful. He's talking about bliss, I imagine. So then, what is it that he said? He's very, very buttoned up, very reserved, very quiet, kind of a sober-sized guy. Lives alone, never married, never had children, but he lives this life. And Ellen, who was on the radio show a lot for a while, especially with Dr. Tim, because he was doing the Course in Miracles for a year, she lives across the street from him, and they met by accident, and she is now being, she's 20 years younger than he, so she has become his executor for his written work. He's handing her sheaves of paper and She's a little nervous about it because a lot of it's beyond her understanding. It's very scientific and technical. But he's trying to make it universal. It's tools. I think he's got his own set of tools. And he said he has had several visitations from the presence, which was were more powerful in general. And one of them, he said, I heard words. And we said, what words? And he said, All I heard was holy, holy, holy. Isn't that gorgeous? Powerful. Anyway. Yeah, that's awesome. I know, and he's just so, 
he's like the raw thing, you know. He hasn't had a community. He comes on and he's he's very twinkly. You know, we say, well, tell more about this. And he said, I'm going to get a big ego. You seem so interested in my stuff. <laughs> he's, he's very cute, you know. He's really kind of like a kid. But anyway, I might report about him. I hope he hangs in with us. I think he's enjoying the meetings. That's sweet. But then, yeah. Awesome. Who knows what wisdom he's going to have to contribute as you go along. I know. He's kind of like a little local guru. He doesn't make planes. Very I cool. Mean, he's not trying to do anything. Yeah. Anyway, so that's all I have else. So thank you for talking. Honored and delighted, as usual. Always appreciate the conversations you bring forward, the questions you ask, and the, what uh, what our conversations get to draw out. Well, thanks. I get a lot from them. I must, I must say I really do. Even saying those three words that he said, it's like filled with holy energy, just saying them. That's what I mean. There's a whole other side besides the nasty, the critical that I'm dealing with so often. It's this other side that just goes bam, and it's right in the middle of your heart, and it's got you by the, it's like a grip or something. Right. Hmm. And, you know, the newspapers and the news feeds, I'm not, you know, you always watch movies to, to challenge yourself and give yourself more material to worksheets. Who needs those? I mean, you going on Facebook and watching dogs that have been kicked to death and dogs that are starving on the sides of roads and lost to their owners and stuff, there's so much material to do worksheets on. It's dangerous. Well, I've never thought about seeking out videos like that, and I probably won't. But. Well, they're on Facebook. Maybe you don't get them. No. Holding a space for all of life. Yeah. Thanks. I was going to add, uh, you were talking about, you know, teaching uh, Aria and the grandbabies. And I took Aria with me to the chiropractor the other day. And he actually, when I was checking out, um, he told the, the girl that was running the register or the, the front desk, he said, Aria, tell her what you're here for. And she looked up and she goes, to be love. So, I mean, it's even impacted the chiropractor. <laughs> That's, That's wonderful. <laughs> Jeannie, Jeannie went for an adjustment. It's the second time that uh, he, he has met uh, Aria. And mm. the first time, it, it, this guy apparently doesn't particularly like children. And when Aria came mm-hmm. in, he was just so delighted to be with her. And he, I mean, the whole time he's in conversation with her. And then this adjustment, I wasn't there yesterday, of course, but uh, it was like he he had her as his CA. He was his assistant. And, and he's asking her questions, and she's asking him questions and answering questions and giving him answers that he's shocked, you know, to, to hear. You know, it's, it's fun wow. to... Uh, to hear her impact on him. It's pretty cool. Wow. Boy, it's going to be fun to see 
what she is when she grows up, how much she's going to feed into the world's healing. Yeah, she didn't want to leave yeah. the office. She flopped down in a chair and and was like, "Well, let's just stay here." And I said, "Well, we can't. <laughs> he has other clients, other patients." <laughs> and he said, "Well, how about?" He gave her a high five because she did good helping him. And, and uh, he oh, was working on me, good. but he was talking to her the whole time. So <laughs> it was really mm-hmm. funny. But um, wow, he's. Uh, he said, can you give me a hug before you leave? And she put her arms around his neck and her legs around his body. And, and he goes, oh, my gosh, I just needed that. <laughs> so oh, she that's so great. really had an impact on him. Yeah. Not great. And, and of course, she got several new anatomy lessons in the process, so that was pretty cool, too. He's teaching oh, her. I can I see her being his chiropractic assistant when she grows and gets into high school. <laughs> Oh, yeah, there was a, a spine in the corner, and and um, it had oh. you know, the nerves sticking out of it. And, and he said, do you know what those things are that are sticking out from the bones? And she said, is that what takes the blood? And he goes, no. He said, those are veins and arteries. He said, these are nerves. He said, the brain is a master organ, and it uses those nerves to tell the other parts of the body what they need to do. And she goes, oh, that's how it sends signals. And his eyes got big, and he goes, I didn't say signals. <laughs> But she, wow. she got it. She knows it. Isn't that great? Pretty cool. Pretty cool. And we do have so a we'll hold caller space for the healing up. of the world. All right. Well, let's say hello. All Thank right. you for being so, with us, young lady. We appreciate you. And cherish you. I sent yeah, you a, a text. Absolutely. By the way. Thank you. Okay, that, um, so it doesn't have a number. It's just a Skype caller. So you are live on air. Who do we have? Be aware. Give us a name. Where are you calling from? Hello, Skype Hello. caller. Can you hear us? Yes. You're on. Hello. Hello. Hi. You're on. We can hear you loud and clear. How can we support you today? What's your What's on your mind? Hello, Skype caller. We can hear you. We heard you say hello. Okay. That one hung up, but there is another one, so maybe it, she came through again. Um, so, Skype okay, caller, you're right. in the air. Who do we have? Yes, I'm here. Hi, can you hear me? You're loud and clear. Who are we oh, talking wonderful. to? Are well, I'm an assistant to a celebrity calling from California. We're actually out on a, a hike, and we were listening to your show and just really got inspired. I wanted to thank you, first off. Oh, awesome. Well, glad to uh, to be an inspiration. That's our job. That's what we're doing in the world, or at least doing our best to do. And hiking well, in California sounds like a really neat thing to be doing today. Oh, what was that? I'm sorry. I say hiking in California sounds like a really cool thing to be doing today. Oh, it is. It, it's really gratifying. We're actually, have you ever done like a gratitude hike? I can't say that I've ever, it sounds like a, an interesting idea, but I can't say I've ever applied the idea of gratitude to hiking particularly. Well, it's kind of, you know, gratification gratifying and it's it's a way to thank yourself and also reward yourself while getting exercise sounds perfectly on track to me 
Actually, we've got a, uh, a, a kind of a unique waterfall here called the, the Weir Dam that we go out to every once in a while. The next time we go out, I mean, we do spend time in appreciation while we're doing that, but all, that'll take it to another level for us. So thank you for that thought. Oh, well, you're very welcome. You, and, you know, I guess I can say who, who I'm an assistant to. Uh, I mean, are you familiar with Oprah? I am. Yeah, I'm one of her assistants, we, and I go on uh, gratitude hikes with her and Gail. I don't know if you know who that is, too. I don't know Gail, but that's pretty awesome. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I, so, I would love you know, to bring and, the forgiveness work we do to her audience. That would be awesome. What, what was that? I'm sorry. I say I would love to bring the forgiveness work that we do to her audience. Oh, well, you know, I can't promise anything, but, but maybe we could mention something like that. But, you know, one of the things that she advises and that I hear you doing is to just, you know, take a moment to breathe. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting in the context of the conversation you've been listening to so far in the ancient Aramaic language where we hear this creation story in the Western scriptures, we're told that, uh, that that story says God sent out his spirit, but in Aramaic, that's not what it says. It says the creator sent out his breath. It literally is our direct connection to creative energy, and the reason why we put such a focus on it is because whenever people shut down their breath, that's when they're hiding something from themselves. And that's basically what yeah. leads us to trauma. So, so I agree with her right on with that one. And I always say, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and just picture your best life. Mm-hmm. I'm with you on that. Now, can you do me a favor? Because I'm looking out here at the valley on our hike, and, you know, hoping we don't see any mountain lions or anything like that. But could you open your eyes and look around and tell me what you see? I see a fan, I see a phone, I see a a healing light, I see a cup of tea. That's beautiful. I'm in a room. That's beautiful. Oh, and what is the I healing I have my light? hand. Oh, it's a, it's a device that uh, comes out of uh, uh, South America. It's a, a crystal healing light, several... Um, Vogel cut crystals that we use personally. Oh. Are you familiar with Marcel Vogel? I I can't say that I am. I'm sorry. Well, he's a former 23-year uh, computer scientist from IBM, and he got into, in his later years, uh, cutting crystals very precisely so that they conducted different healing energies for support of the healing process. So they're called Vogel cut oh. crystals if you look online. And uh, Marcel Vogel is the man who, if um, the kind of mind he had, if you have a computer, the reason your computer works is because he invented the magnetic coating that allows your hard drive to work. At 11 years of age, he invented chemical light. You know, you go to a football game and you buy a light stick and there are two tubes inside. You break them, the chemicals mix and you have light. That's Marcel Vogel's invention. And so there's seven crystals on a a, uh, a, a bar that uh, just 
support energy. And we're getting down to the point, enjoying the conversation, and maybe we can continue it tomorrow. Or well, actually, it would be, yeah, tomorrow. Today's only Thursday. Tomorrow we could continue if, if you choose to, but it's going to cut us off in a few seconds. And uh, be delighted to continue the conversation. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.